I'm Dr. Stephen Lynn, and welcome to the Functional Dentist Podcast, where we explore how your mouth and its related diseases present us with a deeper connection to our inner health. I'll take you through the lost mouth-body link guided with root cause functional medicine and how teeth provide our deepest anthropological human markers and the fundamental principles to understand all chronic and skeletal-based disease. Through ancestral nutrition, modern scientific evidence and the raw anatomy of craniofacial growth, breathing and the endocrine bodily balance will understand your body like you never have before. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends and family and leave a review on iTunes. You can find more information on functional dentistry at drstephenlin.com and on Facebook and Instagram at drstephenlin. Today I'm joined for a second time by Dr. Al Dannenberg, a specialist periodontist who focuses on the connection between periodontal disease and the gut and the immune system. Dr. Dannenberg and I discuss how immunity, which is a big topic today, is connected to the mouth and how oral health is the foundations of how you build a strong immune system. Bleeding gums and periodontal bone loss are some of the most common conditions in the world and chronic inflammation in the mouth often tells us that the immune system isn't healthy. Al rounds his story by sharing his journey from healing metastatic bone cancer, being on deathbeds, and what that taught him about healing his own immune system, skeletal system, and the connection between bones and our immunity. Dr. Al shares his protocols, and as always, he's a pleasure to have on the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm talking live for a really exciting Q&A with my friend and specialist periodontist, Dr. Al Dannenberg. Uh, if you're joining and hearing this broadcast, please say hello and tell us where you're joining from in the comments. Uh, Al and I are going to have a bit of a chat about functional dentistry, uh, the mouth-gut connection, and you know, really how powerful food uh, is in changing the immune system. Now, Al's a specialist periodontist, um, and he's got a really, really fascinating, uh, you know, personal health journey that he's been on in the last few years, which is, um, you know, some people may be aware of, but it's really inspiring. But Al's actually building the foundations, uh, you know, for uh, you know, for dentists to begin to, you know, talk about. Um, nutrition in a more you know, evidence-based but also structured manner in a new course that he's bringing out. So I'm really excited for this talk. Alex, it's been so long. It's great to see you. Oh my God, it's been so long. But what is always amazing is that you are halfway around the world and it's like you're sitting in my living room. I mean, it's just amazing, but it's great seeing you. Thank you. You too, Al, and and uh, you know you've been a re- really busy man the last you know couple year or so. Um, some exciting things coming up. I, I was thinking, you know, we we'd start chatting, you know, a little bit about you know um, a little bit about your story, and you know, because you're you're a specialist periodontist, you know, you you focus on gums, and I see a lot of uh, you know I get a lot of questions online, and we see now a practice people battling with gum disease, and it's a uh, it's it's really a um, a condition that a lot of people feel quite hopeless with. And you know, this is something that you have built your foundation. In. So why don't we start a little bit about your, um, you know, your journey into thinking about how you know, food is medicine and how we can heal the, the gums and gut all together in one system. Well, you know, there was a study that was published, I think, in the uh, sometime around 2000, 
two, three, four, I can't remember exactly. But the study looked at a group of college students in the United States, and they extrapolated some of their interpretations of the, of the data. But they basically stated that the U.S. adult population has approximately, or 92% of the U.S. Uh, adult population has some form of gum disease. 92%. We're talking about amazingly epidemic proportions, right? And and the, the sad thing is, you know, a guy shaving, they're looking in a mirror, or a woman putting on her makeup in a mirror, if they saw a drop of blood that came out of their ear, they would be concerned, right? I mean, you would be concerned. You'd have a little drop of blood dropping down from your ear. But you're not concerned. The average person is not concerned. There's a little pink on the toothbrush or dental floss or when they spit in the sink, it's a little pink. Or, you know, they go to the dental hygienist and the dental hygienist, you know, that's cleaning their mouth and, 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 and they think their mouth is healthy. And they, they ask the dental hygienist, what do you think of my gums? How, how's my mouth look? And she says, oh, it looks great. There's just a little bleeding in this couple molar areas. What's a little bleed? I mean, are you just a little pregnant? I mean, the fact is bleeding is a sign of infection. Unless you literally cut the gum, and you could be that traumatic to do that, but other than cutting the gum, it should never bleed. You should, if you're cleaning your nails with a nail scrub brush, you should never see drops of blood around the cuticle. You just don't see that unless something's damaged. But everybody thinks bleeding is normal because it's normal. Actually, it is normal because the far majority, maybe 92% of the adult population, has some form of inflammation or bleeding gum. So it's normal, but it's not healthy. And, and here's the situation. From my research, from what I have identified, you do not develop gum disease like your mouth is an island unto itself. <clears throat> you literally develop problems in your mouth and other organ systems based on what's going on in the gut. When the gut has a friendly a garden of bacteria. And you know, we have like 38 trillion bacteria in our body and we only have 30 trillion human cells. So we're really more bugs than human. So th these bugs, these bacteria live in a state of harmony when everything is balanced and they are absolutely critical. If you were to take an antibiotic to kill all the bacteria in your gut, you'd die. Because we need these bacteria. And these bacteria do so many things. They produce vitamins. They produce a host of biochemicals that are supportive to health. And in addition, they signal our immune system to other invading structures in our body. Actually, it gets into, even if it goes through the nose, it gets talked about in the gut first and the gut stimulates the immune system and then it sends out all kinds of chemicals and certain types of cells to destroy these invaders. So we have to have changes and damage to the gut that affect the immune system that puts unhealthy substances into the bloodstream because the epithelium of the gut breaks down which is called a, a leaky gut, and things leak out into the blood system that should never be there. And the, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is that is what it changes the microbiome, the good, the good and bad bacteria in the mouth to become unhealthy. In the mouth, we have maybe 700 or so potential species. Everybody has 
probably only one or 200 species. But they are in a state of balance. If you're healthy, you have very virulent bacteria, potentially virulent bacteria in your mouth, but they're in a state of balance, so they're, they serve a purpose. If you remove the virulent bacteria because you thought they were bad, other bacteria that are, not, that are not so bad right now will become overgrown and become bad. So this, this bacteria in your mouth is in a state of balance, and it should be. As a matter of fact, the dental plaque is healthy until it's not healthy. It should be there. Dental plaque serves three important purposes. One is it's a gatekeeper to all the minerals in the saliva that eventually can go through the dental plaque into the root surface to remineralize it as necessary, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The dental plaque also provides a, a shield to prevent other potential pathogenic bacteria in the mouth and in the saliva from getting into that gum tooth space because it has its bacterial garden produces hydrogen peroxide, which is lethal to other pathogenic bacteria. And third, it has chemical buffers that actually maintain a pH level that's normal. So it prevents tooth decay, actually. It doesn't stimulate tooth decay. And the sad thing is we are trained that we need to remove all the dental plaque. Well, it's very difficult to do that. And if you did that, it grows back in 12 hours or so anyhow. But then we're told to really keep this dental plaque under control, with which is in quotes, in other words, to remove it all the time, you need to rinse your mouth with these antimicrobial mouthwashes every day or use foods that have, uh, or chewing gum that have xylitol and a bunch of other essential oils that are going to kill all this bacteria, only because we are thinking that the germs in our mouth are unhealthy but if we are basically a healthy person, they're in a state of balance. So we need to do this. Absolutely. And, and so I, I would say, so if I'm a casual listener now and, you know, they're, they're hearing, you know, the, a specialist periodontist, someone that's, that um, is, is trained to, you know, treat gum disease and to, um, you know, Try and reverse some of these processes that people, you know, ninety-two percent of the population are battling with. They're going to feel a little bit confused, right, to, to hear you say that oh, plaque should be on teeth. So, I'll, so I'll let, let me go a little let, bit on that. And yeah, can you describe the f- say twenty years ago, and and you in your dental pra- in your dental practice as a as a specialist, what you were seeing um, in terms of you know, your conventional training, you know, and specialist training, and you've, you have gone on to do functional medicine practice, practitioner training, and you've really expanded out. But before all that, what was the paradigm that most people are understanding now about, you know, why we should disinfect this mouth and what, what, you know, what are, are most um, dental practitioners recommending out there to, to patients now? So, so I'm going to be very con- controversial. What I was doing in the past I don't do anymore because it was wrong. I mean, I'm smart enough to, hopefully, smart enough to know when I learn something that I'm doing wrong, let's make a change. So in those days of conventional periodontics, when I was trained in school and I I was practicing for 44 years, that's a long time. So when I'm trained and I'm doing my periodontics, I'm 
suggesting to patients to use antimicrobial mouthwashes all the time to kill bacteria. And I'm recommending that they're brushing and flossing and, and cleaning between the teeth so hard that they're removing all the dental plaque. And of course, when we're doing this, a lot of patients do okay um, because we're not really looking at the rest of the body. We don't know that when you're using an antimicrobial mouthwash every day, you're killing so many good bacteria and changing natural pathways that the, bo the body really requires. You don't know that, so you don't know the difference and changes that you're making in that person. It's just that you're eliminating bacteria. You know, if you, if, if you have some ants running around your house... Um, how do you get rid of them? There, there may be one simple way. You, you could burn down the house. You'll kill the, the, the ants, but you're destroying the house. There must be a better way just to get the ants that are annoying and not supposed to be in your house, but still maintain the structure of your house. So there are ways that you do that, and we can talk about that. But what I used to do was very ineffective because I was teaching patients to brush and floss. My hygienist was teaching them. They were cleaning their mouths. They were telling them to do a variety of antimicrobial things every day. And they will come back um, six months or whatever frequency they came back, and they still have bleeding gums. Um, what's up with that? I mean, if I was effective and treating disease and understanding the cause of disease, if I discussed the cause of disease and, and helped them to understand to stop that disease, it would be gone. But it wasn't. How many dentists see recurring gum disease every time the patient comes? And of course, they say, well, you're not cleaning your mouth as well as they should. Well, that could be part of it. What I've learned is that there's another element, and that's the gut microbiome. And we have to secure a healthy gut microbiome because that literally talks to the rest of the body, and it affects the health of the mouth, and it affects every mucous membrane in the body, and it affects every other organ system in the body. Yes, you have to treat gum disease, but you also have to treat the gut because the gut is one specific nidus of infection that leaks into the bloodstream, affects every organ system. And the mouth, if you have active gum disease, because even though dental plaque is healthy, when it is healthy, it becomes unhealthy when your gut is unhealthy. It becomes unhealthy when you're eating the foods that feed the pathogenic bacteria that make them overgrow. And now you got You've got to get that under control, but you still have to get the gut under control. So you, you do absolutely treat the mouth and you have to do it with good oral hygiene as well as cleaning procedures and sometimes laser surgery to, to treat and restore and repair and regenerate bone. But if you only did that and you did not address the problems in the gut because you were ignorant that the gut was such a significant factor, the disease would either come back or if you're using all these antimicrobial mouthwashes and you're killing the bacteria, other organ systems are going to really suffer along the way and other chronic diseases will develop. And you have no idea that you were participating in that progression of disease. And, and, and one, one thing, thing that I think that you really, really kind of highlight, highlight there, there is that there's a huge missing um, consideration across all healthcare 
um, modalities here is that the mouth is such a powerful uh, diagnostic tool, yet we're treating it in different and very isolated ways. And so for people with bleeding gums and, you know, potential gum disease, and I'll get you to, to describe that because I feel a lot of people have confusion about what um, gingivitis is and what periodontitis is and so forth. And sure. you explain in, in such simple terms, I think it would really help people. Um, but the the perspective that, you know, we're seeing signs of this systemic inflammation straight up in the mouth. You know, when you brush your teeth in the morning, you spit it out in the, in the, the bathroom sink, then, you know, it, it's such a a powerful message there that we, sh- we can be doing something to really understand how we decrease this bodily inflammation. For people that have bleeding gums, how would you describe, um, you know, in, in simple terms, the disease process and what's, you know, what, what, what is potentially happening over the long term with gum disease? And then what are some of the conventional ways to treat this? And then, then we'll jump into the, you know, the systemic factors. Sure. So if you're having bleeding gums, um, Number one, if you just look at the front teeth and you're brushing only your front teeth or flossing only your front teeth and everything seems normal, that doesn't necessarily means that means that you have a healthy mouth. So some of the areas that are more easily infected but less visible to a patient, a person would be some of the back te- back teeth in the mouth. And so not just brushing your front teeth or flossing your front teeth and tells you you have gingivitis, um, which would be inflammation, redness in the gum, and certainly bleeding. You need to look closer in the areas in the back. And one of the best ways to identify if you have a gum infection called gingivitis would be to use these little picks called TP picks, T-E-P-E soft picks. They're available everywhere. Certainly you can buy them on Amazon. They look like little toothpicks, but they're made of silicone fiber, fibers, and they little they literally rub and scrub where the tooth meets the gum between the teeth, so it's an in and out kind of pushing and pulling movement with this little brush, and they will remove the unhealthy excess plaque, but actually will stimulate the gum surface if there's infection to make it bleed. And probably it is more diagnostic, more telling that you have a gum infection by doing that than just regular flossing or brushing because it doesn't stimulate those little gum areas between the teeth as well. So if you were to use that and you saw just a little bit of bleeding or a whole lot of bleeding, it's telling you you have gum infection. So what do you do? I will tell you that studies, human studies that have been published in the last 10 years have shown definitively that if you change your diet to a lower carb diet with no added sugars and no processed seed and vegetable oils, which are very inflammatory, if you're doing that, you will change your gut microbiome because the diet is going to improve your gut microbiome and you can take care, treat, and even cure your gingivitis without any dental help. Now, the problem is you don't know how severe that infection is because gingivitis stays gingivitis in a lot of people, but in some people, it turns into a totally different disease process called periodontitis. And they are two separate items. Not everybody that has gingivitis will develop periodontitis, but 
everybody that has periodontitis had gingivitis first. So gingivitis is just the inflammation in the surface of the gum tissue because the, the gut bacteria has gotten out of control. Your immune system is not as up to speed as it should be. And the changes that occurred in your mouth are a direct relationship to those two things I mentioned and the food that you're eating or feeding the bacteria. So you have this inflammation in the gum tissue. It's not going deep under the gum and it's not penetrating any of the bone structure of your jaw, the bone that supports the tooth root in your, in your head. So this is a surface inflammation that will respond if you're changing your diet. Good cleaning techniques are important, but the diet is critical. So if you were just to learn how to clean your mouth better, but you still ate this unhealthy diet, you'll still have gingivitis. And that's where it's confusing. And it's confusing to a lot of dentists because they don't see the relationship. But if you were to take care of that, you would not progress to periodontitis. So this inflammation can change certain um, cell structures under the gum to produce a different type of bacterial colonies that actually change from the gingivitis to periodontitis where there is infection and different immune responses that are causing the bone structure under the gum to decay and melt away. Now, here's a really severe problem uh, um, when it gets to that point. Now, 47% of the U.S. adult population has periodontitis. And if you're over the age of 65, uh, 70% of those ha people have periodontitis. And this infection now gets under the gum into the circulatory system through little capillaries that go into the bloodstream. And not only does it go through the bloodstream in that capacity, it can seep into the lymph and get into the lymph nodes and tissues before it gets into the circulation in other areas of the body and more and 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 more importantly but probably not well understood is that these chemicals and infection can get into the sheaths of nerves under and through the bones that can spread through the entire body some of these bacteria actually embed in red blood cells and the epithelial cells. They become dormant. Some of the most virulent bacteria in periodontitis can become dormant in the blood cells, and then they spread to other parts of the body and they regenerate. They regenerate uh, in a different area of the body. So infection under the gum into the bone, which is called periodontitis, is a severe infection, and it can cause all kinds of other organic problems in with the brain and cardiovascular, multiple sclerosis, all kinds of chronic diseases. But the gut is involved here too. And it's, it's really interesting, you know, what you've described so well there is this is conventionally told in terms of the, you know, the evidence between uh, periodontitis and, you know, other organic organ systems in the body, cardiovascular disease, um, you know, type 2 diabetes is a big one. Um, we know the connection that, um, you know, that people can find straight up in the mouth and that have a long-term risk of, and that some progress to, but some don't, that is connected to diet, yet we haven't put it all together in this factor. So that, that's why this is so important for people to know. Um, just before we go into that a little bit more, there's just a good question here. Um, because uh, just in case for people that don't, haven't heard of the teepee brush, um, have, do, do you know any other um, 
brands of yeah. So gum. G-U-M so, makes a, a similar type of brush. And here's a, the problem with gum, in my opinion, and the, the benefit of TP. The gum brush is basically the same design, but when you use it in the mouth and it bends, it breaks. When you use the TP brush in the mouth and it bends between the teeth, it springs back to a, a normal surface. So um, the TP p- brush is more resilient uh, when I use the gum brush in my mouth, I can only use one maybe in half of my arch and then it breaks and then I have to use another one. The TP actually you can u- reuse. You can actually use it and then wash it and let it dry and do it four or five times before the bristles start to break down. So the TP is more resilient than the gum um, brush, but I, and, and for that reason, I like the TP. Sure. No, that's great. So, the evidence based on um, you know what we so often detect uh, in the mouth and what progresses on to to chronic disease, uh, you know, is is you know it, it it's it started to pop up around the eighties, didn't it? But so there there are these other systemic diseases that are known to you know speed up periodontitis and and vice versa. Uh, what are some of the um, the risk factors that you see people that should be really be thinking about, um, you know, their risk of, you know, f- pr- being one of the, some of the population that progresses onto that 47% that has gum disease? Well, actually, I think it's, mo- it's more than the, the uh, 47% because that's periodontitis. And I'm telling you, from my research, it's the gut dysbiosis that is causing the problem. So that 92% is actually in danger of other systemic chronic diseases. Even if their gingivitis never progresses to periodontitis, they have this gut dysbiosis that's affecting other organ systems. And the unfortunate thing for that individual is they don't know that, number one. And even if they knew they had gut dysbiosis, it could take literally decades for the body's a breakdown process to manifest in another disease. I mean, you could develop, your immune system could develop antibodies from the junk in your gut that's leaking into your blood system because you have gut dysbiosis and you never have gut gut symptoms. There's no bloating, there's no diarrhea, there's no constipation. Um, even, even with those uh, symptoms not there, you could have this uh, leaky gut that's getting into the bloodstream and the um, the uh, an innate immune system is, I mean, the adaptive immune system is creating a variety of antibodies that just slowly build up in the body, but it doesn't destroy other organ sy- systems until later on. So the problem is it's such an unseen, potentially devastating course of disease that all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, I have Hashimoto's disease, or oh my God, I have type 2 diabetes, or oh my God, I have multiple sclerosis. It, it didn't happen all of a sudden. It happened over the course of maybe many years or decades. But the person that has any bleeding in the gum tissue should be aware that this is a sign that something's wrong in your systemic circulation. There's some kind of damage going on in your body that needs to be addressed and not ignored. 
Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are kind of at, at either end of this spectrum. You know, they're, they're going to the dentist saying, you know, my gums are, uh, are bleeding or they, they may be ignoring those bleeding gums and, and they don't, they don't even know they have the condition. Uh, but they're also going to the doctor, um, you know, with, with digestive kind of issues. Um, what would you say are some of the, the, the common chronic digestive issues or symptoms that come alongside, you know, and uh, uh, basically that, you know, mouth-gut system out of whack. You know, this, this, the, it, the, the clear message here is that we need to eat better to fix our digestive system. But what are some of the, um, the, some of the symptoms and, and diagnosis potentially that people are getting that, are, that really need to be treated in a mouth-gut um, fashion? Great question. The, the diseases that are generally looked at are inflammatory bowel diseases. These could be ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, celiac disease. There are a variety of inflammatory diseases that occur for, uh, and they may not actually have a name, but your, your symptoms, once the disease gets out of control in the gut could be diarrhea, could be constipation, could be bloating, um, uh, acid reflux. There are so many different things that are happening anywhere from your the point where you're swallowing food to the point where you're expelling uh, waste products. So th- there are so many different things, but more than likely, a person would have bloating discomfort in their gut and they would see a gastroenterologist or their general physician and they're going to either put them on probably medications, uh, which may help, most likely uh, destroying other good bacteria, especially if there are a variety of antibiotics or certain types of medicines that can disturb the microbiome. So um, the sad thing is most people that have gut dysbiosis, and I would say it's about approximately 80%, have no gut symptoms or signs uh, that there's something wrong in their gut. More than likely, and you mentioned that the dentist has this wonderful platform because the mouth is a mirror to so many other systemic diseases other than just dental diseases. So the dentist can certainly identify something's wrong in the mouth, therefore there is something wrong, most likely in the gut, and it's spreading to other parts of the body, which we will not know until it manifests. And you need to be proactive. When you're, when you're looking at your body and you're trying to say, what can I do to really be healthy? In my opinion, you have to look at the things that your body absolutely requires. Your DNA blueprint basically tells you, me, and everybody else that this is the way you have to live for me, the DNA, to allow you to thrive and uh, uh, survive and thrive. You need to drink water. You need to breathe oxygen. You need to eat nutrients that are going to support all the biochemical reactions in your cell structure. And every cell talks among every other cell. So whatever happens to one cell in your body absolutely will affect every other cell in your body eventually. But on the other extreme of this pendulum, there are things that your DNA says to you, do not put 
this in your body or I cannot tolerate it. There are things that your body cannot tolerate. There are, there are heavy metals that your body will not want. You can put poison in your body, but your body's not able to detoxify certain things. There are certain food products that your body cannot digest. Many anti-nutrients in some foods are so toxic to our gut that it will destroy our gut. There are certain um, proteins and gluten that your body's uh, DNA has never created the enzymes to digest gluten into its basic elemental properties of amino acids. It just can't do it. In every human, we have a problem, some more than others. So why constantly put these irritants in our body if our body's DNA says, we can't have that. It's like if you had a splinter in your finger and you were the healthiest person in the world, that splinter would cause infection in, in the area of your splinter no matter what. And if you took the splinter out, it would heal. But if you were stupid enough to take that splinter and keep stabbing it in the puncture hole that it started with, that puncture hole never would heal. If you keep putting irritants in your gut that your gut has never designed was never designed to digest properly and absorb properly, it will not heal. The beautiful thing about the gut is that the lining of the gut, which is only one cell layer thick, that lining replaces itself. It's the most regenerative tissue in the body. It replaces itself every three to five days. If you were to screw up your diet and put all the junk in your body that you could think of, but the next day you really cleaned out your, your system and your lifestyle, in one week you'd have a new gut lining. That's amazing. And that's why the research and the studies that show if you change your diet, within four weeks, bleeding gums will go away. You'll have lots and lots of plaque, but they're not, they're in a state of balance or homeostasis. But the bleeding will go away. There are three excellent studies that were published, uh, two in the journal of periodontology, one in um, another journal I can't remember, but they were well done studies that showed if you do the simple things and avoid the worst things, your body responds very, very quickly. A lot of people are, um, you know, talking about uh, leaky gut and intestinal permeability now, but out in the community, it's, I, I feel there's a lot of people that are struggling to get this diag, you know, they might go to the doctor or they might go, uh, you know, they, they might suspect they have some of the symptoms of leaky gut. Um, there's a nice interface. That, how do you think, well, I mean, firstly, if we can explain what leaky gut, you know, Sure. actually is from its um you know its, its foundational perspectives and also for the practitioners listening as well you know how do we how do you think the mouth is potentially going to be you know say in 5 years time can we be you know, maybe diagnosing intestinal per or risk of leaky gut you know with with an oral diagnosis and you know how is this interfacing with symptoms that we're having in the gut and because a lot of those conditions that you talked about they're long term people have these things for 5 to 10 years right so they're and, really and much longer of course right right it's 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 screaming out that we need to notice these things earlier with you know with the amount of research that you've done and, and the practice you've done how do you think that we can change is that we can start to identify these problems earlier 
bleeding gums, I think, is a biomarker of a dysbiotic gut. And it's it's not much of a stretch, although I don't believe that there has been a or several double-blind studies to prove this, but all the research, if you connect the dots, will tell you that's the case. So bleeding gums should be your diagnostic tool that there is something going on in the gut. So let's get the gut healthy. Are there diagnostic tests that show all completely 100% dysbiotic gut? No. Unfortunately, there are a lot of tests, but they have a lot of false negatives and positives. There are a tremendous number of tests. Now, I'm working with a company, actually, that's going to create a very unique oral microbiome test. It's going to call, be called the Oral Biome FX, and the company that actually is going to do all of the testing is called Cosmos ID, which actually is the, has the largest database of um, microbes in the world. And this is going to be whole genome sequencing, not some of these other tests that are available that only look maybe at 10 species, although there's 700 possible ones. They only look at 10 species. This is going to look not only at little segments, which is what's usually done in some uh, microbiome microbiological testing in the mouth. This is going to look at the entire sequence of the microbe to really identify what it is. And it's going to talk about the general family of species and the families and species that are in existence and their dysbiosis index to tell you if you really have this unhealthy growth of bacteria or is it in a state of homeostasis. But what can be done is to change the, the garden of bacteria in the gut by using certain types of probiotics. Now, probiotics in general are all over the place, and their research is very sparse. Probiotics are living bacteria that are friendly to the gut. Lactobacillus, bifidobacteria, those are the two primary main uh, genuses with lots of different species. But those are the ones that, that are very friendly to the gut. They make a whole bunch of chemicals on their own, which are called metabolites, that are very beneficial to the gut. Here's one problem, though. When you eat or swallow these probiotics, which are beneficial because of their their metabolites that they're making just right, right at the time in the capsule or even in sauerkraut, for example, and you're eating them, all this good stuff gets into your gut. But the bacteria, the lactobacillus and the bifidobacteria, go into your stomach first. Humans have a stomach that have an acid, has an acid level of 1 to 1.3, strongly acidic. There's a reason for that. We were evolved to try and kill off microbes before they get into the rest of our body. So that stomach acid kills off the lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. So none of that those bacteria literally get into the, the intestines and regenerate because they're dead. The metabolites do, but they don't because they're dead. The only bacteria, the probiotics, that can actually germinate themselves and produce all these metabolites are called spore-based 
prebiotics. These are a type of uh, bacteria that's a bacillus type of bacteria that has a coating, and it's all natural. It, it, it exists in rich organic soils, and the, it gets on the plants, and the animals eat it, and eventually it gets into our food system when we were eating healthy foods, when it was in process, and, and it wasn't damaged with all kinds of chemi- uh, agrochemicals. And we would eat these all the time, and we would have spore-based probiotics that supported our gut bacteria. We don't have that anymore, so we have to take it in a supplement form, and that's one way to help your patients restore their good, healthy gut bacteria because these spores grow, but they also stimulate the natural bacteria in your gut to reproduce and create a diversity and quality of bacteria. Your gut bacteria is as unique to you as your fingerprint. So if I were to take your gut bacteria, if you're perfectly healthy, and I would take your gut bacteria and put it in my gut, it may make me very sick because that's not my gut bacteria. So there's no one bacteria or 10 bacteria that your gut actually needs. It needs its family of friendly bacteria that are in a state of homeostasis. And your gut microbiome created its balance at the age of two. And it stays the same way. And then as you get older, like me, it will change a little bit. But for the most part, your bacteria has its signature by the age of two, two and a half. And yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, there's a lot of talk about probiotics out there on the, and you know, you're right, the efficacy and, and, and you know, the actual evidence behind, you know, the, the impact of these products are, um, you know, it, it, it's, we're, we're learning so much, you know, everything that you're talking about is. You know, Can I interrupt you? Because what, what you just said, I think is, uh, there's another important point here. You're right. There is a lot of talk, and the evidence is sparse if, if non-existent. But there has been a study that was published in 2017, I think, with spore-based probiotics. It was a double-blind study. It was a phenomenal study. Double-blind study, two groups of people. One group of, of people ate, let's say, a fast-food burger, fries, and a Coke, and they were tested, they actually were tested for what's called metabolic endotoxemia. That's a test that you can't do clinically in your for your patients. But in a laboratory setting, because the, the testing is very critical, it could be done with blood tests. And so metabolic endotoxemia is the result of a leaky gut of the junk that gets into your blood, and it's called endo, metabolic endotoxemia. So these people were tested they ate a me- before they ate a meal they were tested for metabolic endotoxemia they ate this very very junky meal and in 5 hours they were tested again and those that had the most metabolic endotoxemia were selected for the study now those that had the most metabolic endotoxemia because they ate a very very junky meal and obviously had lots of leaky gut symptoms and and problems with their bacteria in their gut, they were selected. They were divided into a control group, which which gave they were given a placebo, and the experimental group, which were given the real spore-based probiotics. So these experimental people took two capsules of the spore-based probiotics every day for, I believe, four to six weeks. The control group took two capsules of a placebo, which was basically, a, you know, something that was inert, and they took it 
for the same period of time. Then after that study was accomplished, six weeks or so goes by, the groups were then fed the junky food, they had their blood tested, and then five hours later they had their blood tested. The ones that were on the spore-based probiotic, their metabolic endotoxemia dropped 47%. The ones that were the control group that never, they were on the placebo, their metabolic toxemia was higher by 44%. So what that was showing was that the spore-based probiotics, even if they still ate junky food, didn't cure them, but their metabolic toxemia significantly improved because it was healing the gut by replacing the bad bacteria with good bacteria, and most importantly, it was healing the gut lining. So if you want to get into that discussion of what leaky gut is, we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you kind of get a sense as to, you know, for those listening, as to how complicated this system is. You know, we're talking about... It is complicated. Right. Like It is complicated. Yeah. And, and, you know, the... While we're learning, you know, the evidence base for, you know, these, these systems that replenish these beneficial bacteria, which we know are there is, you know, somewhat early. Um, there is, there is, as you say, there's good evidence out there, but it comes alongside with caveats that there, there is a whole system out there that is affecting the person's, um, you know, how, you know, certain organ systems are healing. What would you say are some of the support factors uh, that people should be thinking, you know, we've talked a lot about beneficial bacteria and the gut. What about some of the nutrients that the body needs that seems to help assist um, gum and gut healing? What, what are the things that you would recommend to your patients uh, to go alongside, um, you know, beside the bacteria? So I'm not always looking at specific nutrients because... I don't believe supplements of nutrients are the way to go. I think the foods that provide biologically active nutrients are the way to go. And that's, for the most part, the way I would approach a a situation unless you're dealing with a very severe disease and you need therapeutic doses. That's, That's a different story. But certainly there are other factors but if we're looking at just nutrients, we're looking at vitamin D, and that's definitely um, supporting the immune system as well as everything else that's going on in the body. And you're going to get vitamin D if you're exposing yourself for the most part of your body um, to the sun, basically based on your skin type and the time of the year and where you're located geographically. And there, there are a lot of factors, but that, that would be the way to go. And you can certainly, and you should be testing your body with uh, 25 um, hydroxy vitamin D testing. That is a blood test, not, not a finger stick. The finger sticks are not very effective, but a true blood test, a blood draw. And the labs, every lab knows how to do this test. And you want to have a level that is conducive to su- support your immune health. Now, that level is somewhat controversial, but for the People that are in more biologically oriented medicine, functional medicine, we would be thinking that that level should be in the range of um, 60 nanograms per milliliter. Um, the, nor- the, the absolute range for normalcy is, I think, 30 to 
50, I believe, or 40 to 50 or 40 to 60. And that is okay, but probably in the 60 to 70 range would be the ideal. Other vitamins are the fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A that is in healthy animal fats. These are certainly critical. Vitamin K2, which is in uh, egg yolks and, and a variety of other healthy foods. Um, natto, which is fermented soy, uh, some of the uh, sardines, uh, wild-caught sardines are high in um, uh, K2, uh, butter that is grass-fed, not grain-fed from cattle, um, has high vitamin K2. That's an important element. And then just the nutrients in animal meat, animal fat, animal collagen, um, animal organs, um, plants and vegetables that are not high in oxalates or lectins. That's uh, very important. Those are foods that will provide the nutrients your body needs. Um, but there are so many other stressors that if you had a healthy diet, but you were emotionally stressed all the time, your gut will really break down and your body will break down even though everything else is in proper um, proportions. If you over-exercise, you'll create too much oxidative stress, which will destroy your, your gut, even if everything else is, is in place. If you don't get enough sleep, generally the adult population should be getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night. It, it should be in a... Uh, uh, uninterrupted sleep, not a lot of noise, not, not excess light, um, uh, those types of things. Uh, there, there are so many factors, chemicals like uh, some, a lot of over-the-counter chemical uh, uh, medicines and prescription medicines damages your gut, and it can actually create all kinds of horrendous things. So we've got to look at things. Dirty electromagnetic fields are a huge factor in damaging your cell structure. So all of these little things create a load in your body that could create the tipping point of damage. And it, and even if the diet is good, you'll still be not a healthy person. But a healthy diet would actually eliminate, in my opinion, grains. It would eliminate all types of processed seed and vegetable oils like canola oil and safflower oil, um, uh, corn oil, all of these oils. Uh, uh, avocado oil would be good. Olive oil would be good. Coconut oil would be good. Those oils would be much better than th those processed seed oils. And you want to eliminate all the added sugars. You know, the strawberry is not the problem. It's the powdered sugar you put on the strawberry because you need it sweeter. It, that Those processed sugars and the grains are so destructive to the gut, to the mouth microbiome. Uh, and and it, if you just eliminated those, you would go far in resolving a lot of disease issues, including dental disease. Yeah, it's such a great summary, but it's so simple when you put it like that. You know, it, it's 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 just feeding your body what what it needs and you know your mouth and gut uh, are happy once they um, you know, once they get the nutrients they need, you know, which come in food, which you put so well, um, and the, and the rest and the, you know, and uh, as you say, a lot of these, a lot of these, um, toxins are, you know, packaged into supermarket food that people just eat on a daily basis without thinking that it, it damages their mouth and gut. 
Correct. There's a great question here um, based on the the – we've talked about bleeding gums, uh, but there are there any other oral symptoms for gut dysbiosis? Sure. Uh, Sure. Generally, yeah, generally it's going to be bleeding gums, but it could be ulcers. So there are a couple of studies that have been published recently that shows a variety of mouth ulcers have their um, origin in gut dysbiosis, like aphthous ulcers and lichen planus, which is a, a autoimmune disease. So there are a variety of ulcers that can occur in the mouth that may or may not have names to them that are definitely related to gut dysbiosis. Anything, um, would you, do you say um, anything on fungal infections? Or? Well, of course, fungal infections are probably the result of changes in your bacterium bacterial communities where the yeast can overgrow. So if there is gut dysbiosis and the friendly bacteria are out of whack and allow yeast to overgrow, that's a possibility. Stress can do that. Certain medications that you might be on can create changes in the friendly gut bacteria and yeast infections can occur. If you were using a I don't recommend any mouthwashes unless it's therapeutic for just a week to 10 days. But if you were the kind of person that you wanted to use a peroxide rinse every day, you will kill lots and lots of good and bad bacteria, but you don't kill the yeast really. So you could de develop a variety of yeast infections in your mouth because you're using peroxide that is destroyed the natural garden of bacteria that keeps yeast under control. Yeast is normal. Everybody has yeast in their system, but it, it should never overgrow, and it generally gets under control because of all the other friendly bacteria working in concert to keep it under control. Yeah, and, and often related to sugar consumption too. Sure, of course. There's, there's a... Um a lot of questions I get are about people that have perhaps had active gum disease or have uh, having gum recession. Sure. Um, there's a question here about saying gum recession, uh, you know, they, they think is inevitable, but how can we slow down the process or how do we manage gum, uh, gum recession once it's happened or, or, you know, sure. from previous disease states? First of all, gum recession is not inevitable. So let's stop that thought process right away. However, there are reasons why you will have gum recession, uh, and it's not because you get older, it's just because maybe the years allow it to slowly break down to a point where it is a problem for you. So here's, here are some thoughts of gum recession. The bone structure on the, the cheek sides of every tooth in your mouth, that bone structure is tissue paper thin. You don't see it. But I tell you, it's tissue paper thin. Some people, though, are born without that thin bone tissue on the surface of the root that faces the cheeks. So the gum tissue is covering those teeth, but the gum tissue has just a tight attachment to the root of the tooth. But since there's no bone, it's not a real secure attachment. And if you were to brush your teeth aggressively with a hard bristle toothbrush, over time, you could literally wear that gum down and it shrinks down and it recedes. And that's not because of infection. It's because the trauma 
of the tooth brushing because there was no bone didn't allow the 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 um the structure of the gum like a scaffolding that would hold on to a bone it would not have that scaffolding and it shrinks away to create the recession now let me just tell you when the gum recedes it does not affect the strength or the health of the tooth if there is gum recession but the gum is solid and tight and not inflamed and not bleeding, there is no reason to treat it. Now, there may be a reason because it's anesthetic and you want to correct it, and there are very excellent gum grafting procedures that can put the gum back on the surface of the root, but mind you, there's no bone, and that gum is still very fragile at the surface of the root, no matter how it's put on, and it could recede again. But if the gum recedes, no matter what the reason was, but it gum recedes and it's gu the gum is not inflamed, it's not tender, it's sealed tightly, but it's lower on the bottom teeth or higher on the top teeth, nothing needs to be done, and it does not weaken the tooth, because the tooth has all of its solid bone everywhere else around the tooth. Now, there are areas of recession that occur because of disease. So if you have gum disease, periodontitis, and the infection gets under the gum, it will eat away the bone. Once the bone gets eaten away, that gum tissue is very fragile, and it may shrink all by itself without you even brushing it. It'll shrink by itself because it's inflamed. It's very tender. If it shrinks and it's still inflamed and tender, it has to be treated so that it makes it's made healthy, but you still don't have to cover the root unless it's an aesthetic problem or there's a lot of root sensitivity and there's no other way to reduce the sensitivity so you do a gum graft. You grit or grind your teeth. Now, there are a variety of reasons why you grit and grind your teeth. You may be under stress and you're going to grit and grind your teeth. Also, you may have something that is actually called sleep apnea. You may have some airway obstruction. You don't even realize. I'm going to tell you how you can test that for it in a moment. But you may have an, an airway obstruction or your tongue isn't fitting in your mouth properly because the shape of your upper jaw is too tight and it doesn't allow your tongue to be relaxed. And you will actually, if you're having breathing issues in the middle of the night, you will start clenching and gritting your teeth before you gasp for breath. And that could weaken the tooth structure and the bone. And if you wiggle these teeth, you can actually slowly damage the bone and the gum could recede after that if you were brushing hard. Let me just tell you an interesting test to see if you have sleep apnea. You should be breathing through your nose. Nose breathing is healthy. A lot of people breathe through their mouth because they're used to it or it's a habit or they have nose obstruction. Now, if you have nose obstruction, that's a different thing. You have to take care of it. But if you have a habit of breathing through your mouth, but you don't have airway obstruction, here's a way of testing. You can take a piece of tape. Um, it's like paper tape. 3M makes it, it's called micro-pore tape. And you can take the tape and literally tape your mouth from one end to the other when you go to bed. Just tape it, simple, easy paper tape. It'll pop right off if you want to. But it'll tape your mouth shut.
Now, when you go to sleep, do it in the, in, during the day for a couple hours just to get used to what it's going to feel like because you're going to scream and yell at me because it's going to seem quite bizarre. But tape your mouth shut after you get used to it during the day when you go to sleep. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to rip that tape off or you wake up because the tape was pulled off and you didn't realize it, it may be because you have sleep apnea and you're gasping for breath and that's why the tape got pulled off or you had to pull it off because you had to breathe. And if that's the case, you need to have a medical exam for sleep apnea uh, or whoever can help you with that. Some dentists are trained in that. They, 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 they know how to reshape the jaw. They know how to train the tongue. They know how to improve the airway space in, in your um, um, a pharynx area. However, they can only go so far because sometimes there's a real medical issue. But that taping of your mouth is a great test for you to see if you really have sleep apnea. Which is and, and one thing um, I've noticed a lot too is that you know, people that breathe uh, you know, through the mouth, especially at night, even when they're unconscious of it, they do tend to suffer from you know, this periodontal inflammation. And yes. you know, breathing really is, is a, a contributing factor to you know, how the mouth can, can form its own immune response. Al, yes, that's really good. We could talk for hours on, you know, there's, we'll have to, we'll have to organize another one of these because there's so many things we need to talk about. But, uh, you've actually designed a course that, um, that dental practitioners can now access and begin to implement the things you're talking about to their patients, which is so important because everything that we've discussed here is somewhat difficult for people to access out there because dental practitioners are learning about this uh, and also medical practitioners as well. But, you know, you're really bringing this perspective together with your specialist knowledge. Tell us about the course that you've put together to help uh, other dentists start to bring this to their patients. Sure. Thank you. So, so the International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine asked me to help put together some programs and what since I saw the need to integrate the gut health and nutrition and dental health, I developed a program. It's a four one and a half hour program that is offered by the International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine. And it's all recorded, it's at your pace, and it will teach all of these things and more, even teaches how to institute a nutritional counseling program in your dental office, training your dental staff to do it, training you how to do a three-day food um, journal and how to interpret it and make recommendations, even how to market it in your practice and your community. But this whole course goes into quite a number of areas of detail, and and uh, once you complete the course at, at your pace, there's a, a, a final exam. And if you pass the exam, then you get the first ever certified um, biological nutritional dental professional designation. So they're going to offer this. They're offering it, I think, with eight CEU credits, which is kind of nice. And you will have a background that you can build on. There is so much new information that is always coming out. But once you get a taste of this, you'll get excited because what what you have if you're a dentist, you have the platform to help your patients in ways that no medical professional 
can do because you're the one that can treat the dental disease and address the gut. And even if you're not going to address the gut, you can put that patient into touch with people that do know the gut, but you're the only one that can treat the mouth. These other practitioners, the medical guys, the functional guys, they are totally unable to treat the mouth because they don't even know anything about it. So you are now in a situation where you can educate and treat your patients in a holistic, biological, um, most complete way that's never been done before. And you will actually prevent chronic disease that, that, that can start decades later. Such a fantastic message, and you know, I, I really, truly believe that dentists, you know, can be, you know, the beacons of this message. That people, you know, have this powerful diagnostic tool, but also healing, you know, modality through understanding the mouth body connection. You know, how food connects to that, and you know, how we can really understand that, you know, that no chronic disease happens overnight, and that we can really change, turn these things around. It's so inspirational. I think that you know, healthcare practitioners really need to. Um, you know, and, you know, just on my own journey, it really changed my life to see that, you know, what I was doing in the practice could be, you know, supplemented with, with all this other knowledge about the gut and lifestyle. And it's completely changed my life too. So, you know, I, I can't recommend, you know, diving into this information and, you know, you're one of the, the foremost experts in the world about this. So I really recommend people, you know, go and do your course. What's the website that they go to? So, so they would go to the International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine, the IABDM.org. Um, I'm not sure. They, they just started promoting it on their website, so I'm not sure what buttons you would press. There is a search button that you could um, type in certified biological nutritional dental professional and that probably would take you to the the page i could send you Stephen, the uh, link um and maybe put it in the show notes or whatever that they can literally click on that goes directly to that course and it describes the course and hopefully this message will get out further Al, it's been a complete pleasure. You know, God, every time we talk, it's it's always an education and we'll have to plan another one of these soon. Let us know uh, any more updates and good luck for your course. Thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> have a great night there. You too. Thanks for the uh, opportunity. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the Functional Dentist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go to iTunes and rate and leave a review for this podcast. For more information on functional dentistry, you can visit www.drstephenlin.com or follow me on social media at Dr. Stephen Lin on Facebook and Instagram where we discuss the health issues that are affecting you. That's all for today and I'll see you next week.